We're back with boys lunch. Are we? We're here. How are you? How's everyone doing? <laughs> I am well, thank you. <clears throat> hey, do you uh, do you listen to this podcast on one and a half speed? Do I? I listen to all mine on one point two speed. One point two? Unless I really want to get through something. Oh, is that an option? On Spotify, it's one point two. I listen to us on one and a half. I like it. It's good pacing. Well, I don't necessarily listen to it once it's posted to Spotify because I listen to it on. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Like the editing thing. Okay. Yeah, I, so um, I just send it out and just never. I think I talked about this before, but like I listen to us on one and a half speed, you know, just because we'd love to hear ourselves talk, but also just to make sure everything, yeah. you know, editing went well and you do a phenomenal job. <laughs> I have a couple misses sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I'll, uh, Mary will be listening and be like, oh man, why am I talking so slow? And I got to forget that. But I highly recommend more Boys Lunch. The quicker you listen to it, the more you can get in, the more you can listen. So yeah. as always, your questions, boyslunch1 at gmail.com. And uh, Boys Lunch Podcast on Instagram. So please follow us and uh, send us your Instagram. You don't even have to listen. You just kind of have it play in the background. Maybe Absolutely. you just mute it. Really, All we're looking, we care about is the clicks. Looking for numbers here. So five I have stars found out, like, clickbait works. Oh, yeah. The titles that we put, which isn't even some of our best material sometimes, that's like, you're going to want to hear about this. Like, literally, we'll have <laughs> 30, 40 more listens. <laughs> we got them. Really, just... That one we did, like, was Jesus right about this? Oh, yeah. Like, the one before it and the one after it, just, like, 30 or 40 less. So I guess that's why clickbait is a thing. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they, they're making money, We're just gonna which we are not. But yes. as always, we appreciate it. If you are interested in getting one of the few Boys Lunch mugs, I'm looking at them right now. We've only got a few left. So if you want in on that uh, so we can order some more or change. I mean, once we're out of mugs, we yeah. can start talking stickers, bumper tank stickers, tops. tank tops, T-shirts, hooded sweatshirts. We got no, options. Do- dog sweaters. Dog sweaters. Someone else suggested that. Really? Me? Yeah. You I should, feel like that would be like a good boys' lunch item. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like, you. oh, you can get a t-shirt? No, I got, I got one for my dog. Yeah. Nice. Anyway, more clickbait. How are you doing? Doing well. Last week we said we were rested coming off our three-day weekend. How are you feeling this week after a three-day weekend? Super rested. But really? My weekend was different than yours. Yeah. Um, we just had like a phenomenal... Uh, we didn't have anything Saturday night. Some would say the perfect fall week. <laughs> Some would say perfect fall week. And then um, Monday... Yesterday we had we had off and took the we slept in, took the girls to the zoo, took a cousin with us, uh, got some pizza for lunch. It was just like a really some restful za. some za. Yeah, nice. so it was just like it was really good. Made me look forward a little bit more to Thanksgiving break. Again, mm-hmm. love my job, love being here, but yeah. man, those breaks are phenomenal. Yeah, ours was like a good weekend, but it wasn't a restful weekend. But it was nice. You did a little camping, is that true? Yeah. So I mentioned it last episode. Went on my first camping trip. It was fun. Uh, it's been very long, like a very long time since I've done something like that. Mm-hmm. It, it was definitely like when I was out there, I was like, I can see why people do this. Yeah. This is a cool activity. When I got home and had showered and lay down on my bed for the first time in a while, I was like, why do people do that? <laughs> so it was like a, yeah, it was good. It's definitely something I think I do more, especially with the kids. Like it's just really good for him. And just like the, I forgot about how fun it is just to like have a huge open field and like trees and just run around and do random things. So. Yeah. That was good. There were some times where I felt a little out of my element. Although there's one time I did look pretty cool. I brought a knife. Get out of here. To carve the pumpkin. Other people were using like these actual like safe pumpkin carving tools. I just like busted out a knife. Felt pretty cool there. I don't think a butter knife counts. Oh, okay. Or a real knife. <laughs> uh, so did you did you pre-gut it like the instructions? I did, yeah. Better boy. Yeah. What a fun. Um, See, following instructions is cool. 
Yeah, but it was just uh, there was a moment where these uh, two like planes did a flyover. They were just like doing some testing, and one of the dads was like, "Oh yeah, it's the uh, A ten Warthog." I was like, "Yeah, I think that's definitely the Warthog." <laughs> I just like it was cool. They like, did it like flew oh, over. Does the uh, National Guard? It's got those big, like those big big airplanes. Yeah, apparently they're like tank destroyers. Interesting. Yeah. Central. They're basically just like a big like flying gun. Um, <laughs> and then there was like a bald eagle that kept flying over. It was really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it like flew over right during mass, and I was like, "This is what Jesus wants." <laughs> <laughs> But it was fun. It was uh, kind of learning definitely how to be patient as a parent, like with a five-year-old. Like the rest of them are kind of older. I think we were just kind of talking about that. Like you want them to have fun, but also like I want you to stay alive. Yeah. I'm going to need yeah. you to stay out of that lake. Yeah. So it was, it was a good time though. Yeah. That's uh, good for you for getting them out there. Um, especially, yeah, five years old, getting out there camping. There was just, yeah, there were so many things that were just like perfect. And I'm glad that he did it. He said that his, everything was his favorite part. So um, that's always good to hear. Yeah. Did get a little cold. It was 38 degrees when we woke up, but whatever, man. This is why we do it. <laughs> that Paw Patrol blanket was not enough. Yeah. We, uh, I had like a few thoughts just throughout the weekend, just yeah. for our banter. Let's do it. Maybe not like the most playful, fun thoughts, but hey. Yesterday, day off, you know, when I try to make everyone else fit into my day, like my idea of a day off, mm -hmm. just never works well. Have you found that? Like, if I go on with the intention of like, I want to get some good reading done, like, I just did not set my kids up for like a good day and myself for a good day. It's like one of those things of like, I have to let this day come to me and I need to like be aware of what other people might need in this day and not just like be selfish about it. Yeah. It blows up in your face really fast. And then it, I started losing my patience. And yeah, it was just like, what is one of those days where, I don't know. Yeah, no, I've had similar experiences on Saturday mornings where it's like, um, when I'm not getting to do, whether it be like there's a soccer game on I want to watch or if there's like something I'm working on or, or whatever it might be, instead of just like letting the day come to come to me and see what the girls want, like, yeah, then I'm frustrated that they're not letting me, even if they're yeah. unconscious of the fact that they're right. getting in my way of doing something. It's just their Saturday. They're just trying to enjoy time with their dad. Yeah. Well, this is not how it's supposed to go. Right. And then it's like, yeah. Then it's I, like teaching sometimes too. Yeah. Like sometimes you have to take the day as it comes and, and, and meet them where they're at right. and change. So we finally just took them to a playground after after lunch and it was like, everything we needed it was a nice breeze out they were able to run around and have fun with me like and yeah i was also like watching these other like these two new parents with like a little kid like just so like, just having so much fun with their kids and be like i need to like yes yeah remind myself that that's what it's about every day should be like i'm doing something with them for the first time <laughs> yeah no that's absolutely right other thoughts Hey, man, you're the one that planned this banter. What else you got? I went out on the deck last night. Uh, I have not really been able to enjoy, like, my backyard as much and, like, just at night because, like, you know, once you put the kids to bed, it's just, like, I'm lounging. Like, I'm, I need to unwind. But I went out because the moon was, like, super bright. Did you go out and see the moon at all last night? I didn't night? see it last night. No. Oh, man, it, that's crystal clear skies. Picture this, people. Uh, and the moon was just shining, and I just, like, went out and just stared at it just for hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like I, I just moved and there's the, the cornfield behind me Yeah, and they finally cut the corn so I could see farther and I was just sitting there in the quiet, but it wasn't really quiet because the interstates there, yeah. it's not like too loud, but it, like, it's a constant kind of noise in the background. Mm -hmm. And uh, off in the distance, there's like 30 flashing red lights from windmills that are out there. And I was just kind of thinking like, what would it have been like here? <laughs> I see you just kind of like, where are you going with this? <laughs> no, you're going to land it. <laughs> what would it have been like just living in a different century? 
Like if I was just standing there in the 1800s, like there's not a huge interstate with people just flying by, like just thinking about how quiet it would have been mm. all the time. Like, could you imagine a world that was just quiet all the time, that there wasn't these flashing lights and that when it was dark, it was just kind of dark and things were settled. I don't think we've ever really gotten to experience that. Like I was just thinking it probably was so much easier to be, to be aware of the religious, to be aware of something other when there wasn't so many things going on. Like, geez, that would have been easy to be a Christian. No, just, <laughs> but it was just like one of those thoughts I had. Like, yeah, no, I, I don't think we, like how much ambient noise there actually is in the world. Like you think you're out there, but then like, if you, like you can still usually hear. Like, I'm on the outskirts of town, like right. staring at a field. Like it's still just like in the background. Like when I think um, they've done studies where they, you know, put them in these soundproof rooms or they put people in like this, like abs absolute darkness. It is like something that's just like, it almost like, I don't know. Yeah. There's something that it just, it throws people off. But yeah, I was just thinking of it because literally Friday we went down to adoration with my students mm -hmm. in my ninth hour, which is kind of like more like rowdier. It was like 15 guys and six girls. We were probably only in there for four or five minutes, but it was like completely silent. And one of them afterwards, Adam was like, I, I don't like that. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> being silent for so long. He's like, I just don't like silence. It like freaks me out. I'm just alone with my thoughts. That is like, I, we probably commented. Maybe we can do an episode on silence and stuff because it is such an important thing within our yeah. modern world. But yeah, that was just like a weird experience to stand out there on my deck and just, <laughs> I don't know. I'm all alone. I, every century has its own yeah. problems, but it just, it feels like it's so much harder to recognize the divine now when our eyes are just drawn downwards to like the motion and the sounds and everything that's going on. So. Yeah, I think we've talked about it. It's just such a busy and just so many different things that are, we're trying to process at one time. And it's just like, yeah, you never really get a chance to just. But yeah, just go outside and like stand there and just like at night and just like take it in. Cause like, it is just like a, what would it be like if it wasn't? Yeah, we try to do that with the girls. My girls love looking at the moon and like every chance they ask, like I don't want to turn them down because I'm like, yeah, like you should like rest in the beauty that is the world and try to enjoy it. And then at last, like a comments, can we go inside and watch something? Yeah, that a girl. Yeah, here we go. Well, anyway, it's been a uh, weird week already. We recorded some of this yesterday and now we're recording some of it today. So sorry for awkward jumps around, but I thought I had, we had an interesting little topic today that we'll kind of dive into. Yeah. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Joseph Ratzinger. Uh, the rat? We just lost our listeners. <laughs> you just There's that moment every podcast where you're like, well, I think people just yeah, That was out. fun. <laughs> Joseph, I gave them their listen. <laughs> yeah, Joseph Ratzinger was a priest in Germany during the Second Vatican Council. So that's mm -hmm. the 1960s. Then becomes a bishop, becomes the head of the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, the CDF, which basically is like the lead theologian of the church. He's kind of like the watchdog almost. They call him the German Shepherd because he's from Germany. Uh, some people call him the Rottweiler. <laughs> Love that. But Joseph Ratzinger was kind of the person making sure that our teachings that were going out there were orthodox, that they were in line with what Christ and the church would want, and eventually becomes Pope. Mm -hmm. You guys might know him as Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Grandpa B-16? Was um, elected to the papacy in 2005 when John Paul II died and then um, resigned in 2013 when Francis took over. Yeah. So 2005 to 2013 is B-16's um, kind of legacy as Pope. Yeah, and just a renowned theologian, writer. I mean, so many books of his. And they're they're really good. I mean, like, I know kids these days are just dying to pick up a book off the shelf and read. <laughs> and it, 
some of it's pretty high-minded theology, but I thought he did a phenomenal job of kind of like, for a German, you don't expect kind of like a poetic telling of theology, <laughs> but like I thought he did a phenomenal job, especially on topics like uh, is it Deus Caritas S? Is that, is yeah. that one of his and like on love and and, and I thought he did, he does a phenomenal. Job. He's one of my favorites. I got a yeah, picture. Just a master of scripture in the Church Fathers that's able to bring a lot of that. Um, and I think that's what ancient tradition back to the modern age. I think that's what drew me to him and yeah. draws me to him still is because it is there's just such depth. There is so much there. There's something for everyone in B sixteen. They yeah. say. Or John Paul, if you remember him, was more of this outgoing evangelizer. Mm -hmm. Um, the Benedict was definitely more the, the teacher, although John Paul, I don't even know why he called him not a teacher because he was. But. Yeah, I mean, he had great writings as well. Uh, Ratzinger, though, was, he did like, like a lot of famous interviews kind of each decade after the Vatican II. He was kind of one of those people they would look to to say, like, what do you think about the state of the church now mm -hmm. based on how we're implementing things? And he was asked in a radio interview in 1969, really because Germany was going through a lot of problems at that time within the church, will there be a church in the future just in general? it just seemed like things were chaotic and coming to the ground and ratzinger had kind of a quote that's been quoted a lot or used a lot he yeah. basically says that the church in the future is going to be smaller and purer yeah it's a hard word to say the future of the church can and will issue from those whose roots are deep and who live from the pure fullness of their faith so he says that there's going to be a church in the future but it might become smaller for a little bit mm -hmm. but the people that stay might be a little more actually invested in what they're doing yeah and he says basically it's going to come from these people whose roots are deep it's not going to issue from those who accommodate themselves to the merely passing moment or from those who merely criticize so it's not going to come from people who just are caught up in the trends and are just so looking at the pleasures of life and not looking at the afterlife so mm -hmm. it's not going to come from people who just are focusing on the passing moment it's not going to come from those who criticize others and assume that they are the infallible measuring rods so it's not going to come from these or people that are the Pharisees that I know better than everyone. I'm just, my whole now. job is just to, I'm holier than now. Yeah. I'm going to criticize people. It's not going to come from people who take the easier road, who sidestep the passion of faith. I like that line. Yeah. It's not from those people that are going to sidestep a lot of these things that Christ is calling them to. I was telling my kids this past week, it's not enough just to go to heaven and be like, I did pretty well with those 10 commandments. <laughs> like Christ is calling you not just to not kill somebody, mm -hmm. but it's calling you to love your enemies. And that's a lot harder that's not the easy road right there. And who sides up the passion of faith? Um, it's not going to come from people who declare basically these guidelines, these laws, these things that Christ is asking us to do to make a sacrifice. It's not going to call come from people who say that those are false or obsolete, that those are tyrannical or legalistic, or basically all these demands that Christ is asking from us. That people are just saying that these are too much, they're legalistic, they're tyranny, that they are obsolete. The new church is not going to come from these people. So I kind of like that so far. Any thoughts just off the top of your head? No, I think he does a great job there. I think each one of those, um, he did a great job of kind of drawing out. I like that last one too. Like it's going to come from people who are willing to subjugate themselves to a, a law, a moral law, an ethical code, and they're going to see that that actually brings them freedom, brings them yeah. to fulfillment. And I'm taking some of this. I've only read like half this book. I really don't know the author that much. So I'm kind of just like feeling this book out. It's called yeah. The Prodigal Church. He's trying to, it says, Restoring Catholic Tradition in an age of deception. So it's trying to look at some of the, where is our church now and where is it going? And he, he picks up this word from Ratzinger's statement about root, like being rooted. For a plant to be uprooted is to be detached from its means of sustenance, from that which gives it not just life, but character. He says, really, if a dandelion's pulled up, whatever, it doesn't really affect a lot of things behind it. If a fully mature tree is uprooted and taken out, it's going to dev devastate the entire ecosystem of coexisting flora and fauna. 
Like that is a huge gesture. And that's what's happened in the last 200, 300 years that the church as a mature tree has almost just been uprooted when this new secular culture has been rooted in. Mm. But the, the secular culture, even though it violently uprooted the church, it's not like its roots are very deep in general. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. Well, and the, and the kind of the chaos that kind of echoes forth from this uprooting, like you talked about the... Um, it's going to have a ripple effect on everything yeah. around it. But he basically says, I think there's a lot of things to this. If our roots in faith and authentic tradition are shallow as well, we as individuals, as families, as communities are going to be pulled up with them. So if we're looking at trying to kind of rebuild our church and become rooted again as this tree, if we want to use that analogy, mm -hmm. if we are just doing these shallow roots, like our culture is doing these shallow roots, if it is just something that is more one among many things that's important in our life, mm -hmm. if it's just something that becomes more of a show, if it's something that becomes more of us just trying to be respectable within society, then we're going to be thoroughly uprooted as well. And something that changes regularly with the trends and tides of society as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, it never even gets a chance to really go deep. Um, now I'm in, in my mind, I'm just picturing you trying to regrow grass <laughs> exactly. in your yard where it's like, if it's not, um, if you don't give it a chance, if you mm -hmm. don't water it, if you don't give it cover, if you don't do these types of things, like it will shrivel up and die or will be treaded on and lost. I mean, this is the classic uh, sower, right? Um, yeah. Christ story. Where you, yeah. Right, exactly. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, he does a great job with that, that metaphor. And like, the point is to, we need to get the roots deep, but it's not roots. The purpose of the roots is not depth for its own sake. So we need to go back to our anchors mm -hmm. in Christ, in our tradition, in the church, it needs to go back deep within the foundation, but it also needs to flourish above ground as well. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea of the church is that we have these roots, but it's for the sake of the growth and the flourishing of the plant above the soil. Um, strong roots for a flower that have been strangled or starved of sunlight are useless. So we need to make sure that we are taking care of this. The point is to anchor and sustain something that's living, maturing, and developing. A living faith tradition is one that's both deeply rooted and responsive to the world around it. It's anchored in timeless truths, but it's eager to innovate um, with confidence to the world that's around it. That makes sense at yeah. all? Okay. This new generation that is coming to the church is coming to the church because of its rootedness. Like if we're looking at the smaller and purer church that Razinger is talking about, the church has almost become now this voluntary association where it's like you're choosing, like, oh, sure, I'll be part of this club. Mm -hmm. And so if people are actually choosing it, not because it's something that they've been I don't know, just born into and expected to go to, they're doing it because of the things that makes it different. They're investing in it because it's timeless, because it has anchors in earthly tradition, but in heavenly transcendence. There's a quote in the book. It says, why would you embark on this creaking ancient, barely seaworthy, poorly run ship if you didn't think there was something extraordinary, extraordinary about it? And if you didn't think its otherworldly destination was worth the risk. So this new generation that's coming in is coming in excited and coming in to try to challenge themselves and challenge the church to be better. Mm -hmm. The existing kind of running of our church, though, this new traditionalism, as mm -hmm. I'll call it, this traditionalism maybe that started in the 60s and 70s, though, is more of one that saw religion as becoming respectable within society. Basically, it's not a participation at mass in the representation of Christ. It's just kind of what respectable people did. You had unquestioned mass attendance on Sunday, but prayer life in your home was non-existent. Mass became kind of a social function, not necessarily something that's changing your life. It was something, I guess, in the 50s and 60s. Yes, there was a lot of people going to mass, but it was more about being like respectable, fitting in with the mainstream of American society. Yeah, Christian culture. Right. Something like 
uh, John F. Kennedy kind of showed you, you could be fully American, but you couldn't be fully Catholic. You had to sacrifice one to make the other. And so I think our new traditionalism is, is we're trying to be respectable to the culture around them, dumb down a lot of things where to them, it's not reaching back to all these things to them, our generation of lady and clergy who now dominate our church's bureaucracy and hierarchy. So all kind of our leaders on Eagle's wings to them is something that's traditional. Gift of finest wheat is traditional. Round churches with abstract stained glass windows are traditional, right? Brick walls and wooden ceilings are traditional. Can I keep going? 20 EMHCs up there rubbing their hands with hand sanitizer is traditional. <laughs> yeah. You know, because they're going along with, we need to make it more respectable within American society. And when you try to do that, you're missing its rootedness. And you have these shallow roots that can be torn up fast because pretty soon bricks and a wooden ceiling are going to look really lame because they do. Your abstract stained glass that has very little that moves you beyond just what it is is going to get ripped up and made fun of, which it is. Yeah, it doesn't have the staying power. It doesn't have the, yeah, that lasting impact, that rootedness as you're getting to. And I think what it is is. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. As I took a giant, just kind so... of crapping on Gift of Finest <laughs> yeah. Wheat. Sorry, people. Uh, don't you dare speak poorly of On Eagle's Wings. <laughs> um, I mean, the idea is, again, they see, okay, so they see this ever-shifting culture. So what what you're saying is they're trying to adapt to that, right? Yeah. So what, what are they trying to do? It's like, okay, well, now this is becoming trendy. Now we've got to try to adjust accordingly. But instead of, they're, they're dismissing the deep roots. And what they're trying to do is, again, they're laying, um, again, to use this grass metaphor, they're laying grass, but they're doing it quickly. But it, yeah. as, as the culture moves on and shifts, they're trying to catch up and they're abandoning what they've tried to plant and it doesn't have the staying yeah. power. So then you see, yeah, you see these churches built uh, in the architecture of the 60s, 70s and early 80s. Just beautiful. And just like, yeah, like at the just time, kidding. this kind of deconstructive church architecture was yeah. hip, right? But now it's like you've got these new people who by choice aren't because it's culturally cool to be Christian, but are by choice getting on this. And I love that ship metaphor because yeah. it is like you only get on that ship because you know the destination is worth it. Right. The destination you know is worth it. And you know where it's you it. know where it's been and you know yeah. what it's done for people and what it does for people now. Yeah. You only get on that ship for one reason, right? And so, like, yeah, you've got these churches that at the time, great, but now it's like people aren't wanting to go into those, especially the newer generation, because they it to them it it's not that they're inherently bad. No. Because there are people who are who built those churches, who love timeless. those churches. But it's like it appeals to that set of people in that moment. And yeah, they have an attachment to that church. But when they're gone, it's not the the beauty that exists within there isn't so deeply rooted that it's going to draw a new generation. And I'm not trying to like just throw water on this whole idea of being innovative and creative and using our tradition to mm-hmm. um, embrace our time now. Yeah. But I think it was just it was done in a way that. Uh, ignored the roots that we had it tried to make the top flourish without remembering the bottom yeah and it just i think went too fast i think you can do both yeah and i think that's what you're getting you're not saying that like any sort of adjustment or trying to offer something new for uh, new and old generations as a way to try to bring them back to the church that's not what we're saying that that's bad that we should just like stick to the sacraments right uh you know bring back what was old no what we're saying is like it must be done with remembrance because it's not what is at the center the other side of it it's not just this slavish kind of we need to follow the 1962 mass rubric and uh-huh. we need to like almost like a Renaissance fair, recreate this. Right. It's not like playing, like we're going back. I don't know if that makes sense. It's yeah. not just like that yeah. is good, but it is in the book it brought up because the conversation was there was young people in the diocese of Pittsburgh that were like in their twenties that were really hungry to help kind of make some changes within their diocese. And there was a deacon that was leading it 
And one of the questions was, what can we do to bring some more traditional elements into the church? Um, not necessarily like we need a Latin mass or anything, mm -hmm. but the deacon was like, well, we've, we've bought some drum sets for the churches and stuff. Like, I think we're trying to appeal to the traditional part of it and, and to the youth and like, dude, you're missing what he's asking there. Yeah. That's not what he's wanting. But how we are imagining the church or how we have been is, he says, is marred by our addiction to respectability and our immersion in the mainstream. It discourages us from making the bold claims about the reality of Christ, the church, the sacraments, public prayer, even displaying religious articles in our home. Mm. We're dumbing down a lot of the things that make us different, that will appeal to people to try to be respectable and try to be mainstream. None of that is respectable. To say that God is in control, to say that the church is a unique, the unique means of salvation, to love our enemies, to evangelize the world, to, that grace is real, that holiness is the most important thing we can pursue. Like none of that is respectable within our culture. Right. So that, and he says that kind of impinges on this materialism that we have, mm -hmm. this relativism that we have, this lust, he says, for autonomy and control, which I kind of like, I like phrasing. Like we want to just have no one telling us what to do. We want to be completely in control of our lives. We don't like universal claims. We don't like meekness. We don't like vulnerability. And that's what the church has to offer. So if we want to reimagine the church within this new world, we can't just try to be respectable. We can't just try to be mainstream. We need to focus on what makes that ship so different. Mm -hmm. But we can't just play this old Renaissance fair. We need to be, I don't know. Because there, there must be a balance struck. We, we've talked about the idea that the virtue lies in the center here, okay? So yeah, you can't just, you can't compromise the faith and the depth and, and of the theological teaching that exists within the church, you know, we're going to, we're not going to talk about sin. We're going to mitigate, you know, all mm -hmm. these types of things that are going to be confrontational. We're going to focus on the good stuff that we think draws, and then we're going to try to change stuff. But you also can't go back, um, like we're talking about, like to the Latin mass to a time. And this people see that they think this, not every, but there's a group of within the church that think if we just went back to this time, Everything if we could recapture fine. the 1920s, yeah. it's like, well, like you were talking about from the twenties through the seventies, like, maybe because it was more widely practiced, it was a cultural Catholicism, right? Mm -hmm. Where there was a uh, just a, an inherent respect due to the church. Like that was waning at that time, right? Yeah. As you said, like the personal devotion. It became more of a social status thing. Right, exactly. Like if we, I had didn't, we had the priest over dinner this week. Right, exactly. Oh, I didn't see you at Mass on Sunday. Yeah. And like, oh, I, you know, there's- I there's, am a respectable part of this culture. Right, exactly. We do, we do go to church. Okay. Um, now, yeah. the liturgy and how it was celebrated, beautiful, right? Yeah. So again, but again, to think that everything was okay and that there wasn't kind of like this undercurrent of loss of like real devotion and faith in there just because we had more at butts in the seats. Yeah. Like, I think it's tough because I think we are just trying to figure out the right answer and where we stand. Yeah. I don't think we tend to either side. No. And I don't want people to think that we are trying to like promote like extremes or anything. We're just trying to figure out. Don't put me in a box. No. <laughs> Honestly, you know, I'm different. You guys, this isn't a phase. We're basically, yeah, we're at a time right now with a prodigal son when he was just sitting there and had basically given away everything that he had mm -hmm. and it's time to restart. And the only one that's going to be able to do that is the father. If we go back to the father, we go back to our roots. Um, he basically says authentic innovation is plumbing the depths of tradition. That means the early church and the monastics, the middle ages and the Catholic reformation, modern social teaching and the experience of our last few generations. Let's take from everything that we have our roots that are there and apply that tradition in a forward thinking way to our particular circumstances. And he says, the biggest way to do that, this is kind of what I want to end on, is seeking conversion and holiness. Mm. Uh, we have a lot of dioceses have become almost just like a corporate CEO like plan where we're missing the idea of we need to be holy. We need to start changing our lives and converting ourselves so that we can convert our families, our friends, our mm. parishes. We can't 
dilute our faith, chase trends, compromise our consciences to try to get worldly popularity and mainstream respectability that keeps our church lukewarm but safe. Like we've seen that doesn't work. We got to like stick true to ourselves and seek authentic conversion and holiness and understand that the Father is the only one that can make us whole again as individuals and as a church. We're in a moment in our history. We're the prodigal sons. We took our inheritance and spent it on a bunch of crap. And now we got to turn it around yeah. and seek what's actually like seek these foundations, our tradition, our roots in Christ that can help us. Yeah, it is, that, it is that radical holiness that, it, it, which is, I mean, we sp- keep speaking of these roots, like it's Christ, right? It's, it's that radical holiness that he calls us to um, that, I mean, we're seeing dioceses all over. They're having to shut down churches, you know, um, we're losing people every year just because of the way in which everything's going. When he says like kind of that new traditionalism that came from the 60s is more negative and in, in denial of like the goods that we do have in the church. Right. Like there's a lot of priests, we, we need to plan on just start closing down a lot of things. Like they're more just, there is a lot of negative trends within our society and within our church, but we've lost kind of that hope. Yeah. We have lost, I think what Benedict said, we are getting smaller, but we're all also like getting stronger. Yeah. And there is like hope for the future, and but that, it needs to start at home and with yourself. Con- constant conversion of life and seeking holiness will change so much. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I'm saying is it, even though we have these, you know, churches are being shut down. Like, um, we have to remember at the center of this is what you're pointing to the idea that like there should hope should not be lost, right? The gates of hell shall not prevail. The church is, I firmly believe like there is great good there saints. And that's what we need more saints. Saints will bring about this change, right? It's not a new capital campaign. That's going to get more or, or get more people in the seats or going to keep these parishes open. No, it is radical holiness. That's going to transform of, at, at the church at its foundation and is going to create saints. It's going to, that's going to allow it to kind of grow again. Right. And I think radical holiness then helps out like a church flourish. Yeah. Your capital campaign will come from people that care so much investing mm-hmm. in their church and community. Yeah. yeah. Because they have changed their lives radically and they're seeking holiness and they're mm-hmm. becoming saints. We can take a few more cannonballs to our ship. Like, yeah, we're going to, like, we're going to be fine anyway. Any shout outs? Uh, I want to shout out the Larsons. Um, that's Sarah. What do we got? TJ, Dennis, Dennis, and uh, Irish. I think that's it. Hmm. Yeah, those are all the Larsons. Oh, oh, oh Ella. 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 <laughs> How can we forget? The nice. favorite child. Uh, but yeah, well, shout out to Larsons. Nice. Uh, Ella's at Notre Dame, and apparently she chose to willingly listen to us while studying. So. Hope school's going well. It shows you how lame Notre Dame is. <laughs> oh, jeez. Sorry, just kidding. I want to that shout whole out, family's going to come. I want to shout out uh, your brother and sister-in-law, Chris and Andrew. Oh, nice. Yeah, she's glad I got to talk to them. Andrew said she does listen. Not sure if Chris does, but Chris, I want to give you a big shout out. Next time, pack a few more clothes. What a family. Great yeah. family. All right. For the kingdom. For the kingdom.